Hi, I'm Eric. And I'm Megan. And this is Cinema Super Collider, where we're smashing up cinema one movie at a time. Greetings, my friends. We are all interested in the future, for that is where you and I are going to spend the rest of our lives. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable. That is why you are here, my friend. Can your heart stand the shocking fact about cinema, On this episode of Cinema Super Collider, we're going to take a look at the 2010 documentary, Tabloid. Now, this one is a true crime documentary, but it's also kind of a character study in a way. But one thing that we want to make perfectly clear before we start down our rabbit hole here, Eric and I very much like this documentary. Oh, yeah. It's one of it's one of our favorites, and it's one of those stories where as the story unfolds, you're like, excuse me, what the fuck is this new twist in in the narrative part of what makes it great is the surprise factor of what happens next right and so we are doing one of our very rare spoiler warnings we all know how i feel about spoilers i don't give a shit we spoil everything all the time if you listen to any of our other shows you've been spoiled right exactly but we don't normally issue a warning at the beginning because it's normally not that important right however We think that the surprise element of this particular uh, story, this sort of unfolding of uh, true crime events, is enough of an interesting thing that we highly recommend, if you have the means to do so, turn off the podcast, go watch the movie. It's currently streaming on some of those free streaming services like Tubi. And then you can come back and you can hear us talk about it. Or if you're like me and you don't give a shit about spoilers, continue on. Right. Right. And uh, this is a documentary from 2010. It's by a director named Errol Morris, and it covers the life and times of an individual named Joyce McKinney. Joyce McKinney, who is a piece of work. Uh, Yes. A very, very disturbed or uh, psychiatrically, psychologically, somehow very... uh, uh, unusual individual she doesn't as a as a psychiatrist i would not be able to put her into any one category but you have some thoughts i have some thoughts Mm -hmm. i have some thoughts she generally definitely has what we would call access to problems which are personality disorders which it's it's speaking as a psychiatrist it's all way more complicated than I'm going to put forth in the context of this podcast. Right. But and I, a, think, I think that we can say, and, and you know, this is, this is true of any pop culture or media presentation of a person with psychiatric problems, that a doctor or therapist, psychologist, whatever, can only judge the person so much on what has been shown to us via a movie. So take that with a grain of salt if right. Eric starts talking I, I, about things. I don't presume to diagnose anybody without meeting and interviewing that person. So I have my 
thoughts and suspicions. And by axis two disorder, I mean a personality disorder. And by a personality disorder, I mean something that you would call a functional disorder. And by that, I mean, it's not what they tend to call these days is like a chemical imbalance. If you've got major depression or bipolar disorder or schizoaffective disorder or schizophrenia uh, or panic disorder, uh, these are axis one problems and are best treated with medication, better treated with medication, best treated with medication plus therapy. The thing is that these are things that, that somebody doesn't have any control over. That implies that if you have an access to disorder, that you have some sort of control over it. It's not as simple as all that, but it's not some kind of neurological, neuropsychiatric, chemical-based defect. It's a, a problem with personality, and it's hard to detect exactly where it comes from, but it's usually related to the person's upbringing, the person's uh, you know, sort of general inborn personality, uh, a lot of multiple factors that cause someone to be either antisocial or borderline personality disorder or narcissistic or histrionic. And I mentioned these because these are the, the sort of cluster B from the axis two disorders, and they're all associated with levels of narcissism. And narcissism is, of course, when somebody has an unrealistic picture of themselves and they perform it, act it out, display it in various ways, some of which are healthy and some of which are unhealthy and some of which are profoundly disturbed and disturbing. Thank you, Dr. Algren. You're welcome. You're welcome. All right, then. So you've been warned. Eric has done some explanation of some things that he may be talking about a bit further as we as we unroll the story of Joyce McKinney within the tabloid documentary. So there you go. You've been you've been set upon the path that we are about to take. Yeah, she comes across as being devious and manipulative. Yet you can't help or I can't help but feel some kind of sympathy for her mm -hmm. because People who suffer from this kind of problem are oftentimes some of the most sad, some of the most pained people in the world, and they truly suffer themselves, and it's why they act as crazy as they do. But as one of the tabloid journalists in this movie is quoted as saying, she's barking mad. Truth. And Truth. even though she comes across as being coherent and fluent in speech and able to high functioning very high functioning very smart she says her iq is 160 something at some point she's very well put together she doesn't have some brain dysfunction it doesn't mean that she's in full control of her emotions or her behaviors that 
she's so overwhelmed by her internal feelings that she has to act them out in these ways. Mm-hmm. So it, it, I, I'm going to try and step back as a psychiatry sort of voice, but I just wanted to get a lot of this out before we started talking about the actual story. Sure. So that as we talk about this movie, you don't get the impression that this woman is completely and utterly unsympathetic. Oh, yeah. No, I think I think that there are certainly some avenues for sympathy in this story, but they are in some ways overshadowed by the barking madness of it all. So, a quick sort of like elevator pitch as far as what Tabloid is about. Tabloid is about a woman named Joyce McKinney, who originally is from North Carolina, but found her way to Wyoming and Utah as a young, essentially beauty queen, you know, beauty pageant contestant. A young pageant girl. Mm -hmm. Some people in the South grow up as pageant girls. Oh, I'd say like there's a large, I think pageantry is much more prevalent and popular in the South than it is other places, but having watched many seasons of toddlers and tiaras i can tell you that it's not 100 percent that way anyhow so but she was like a toddlers and tiaras kid kind of i i think that maybe some of her pageantry was more as a teen and less as like a toddler yeah but um the movie doesn't dwell that much on her childhood no they just it's just a way of establishing that she she was a pretty young blonde you know, woman of a certain character, you know, the the character that she wants us to understand that she had when she was starting her journey through the, the ages was that she was a God-fearing, good Christian woman who was saving herself for marriage and who, you know, through a series of events was introduced to a young teenage Mormon boy named Kirk Anderson. And... She fell head over heels in love with him. He disappeared on her one day, and she made it her life's work to discover where he went and claim him as her own. And thus began what was referred to as... The Manacled Mormon Case. Yes, the Manacled Mormon Case, which took over tabloids, predominantly two tabloids, but all of the tabloids in Great Britain in 1977 and 1978 Yes, is when all of this actually happened. And the the documentary is from 2010, but it's primarily about events from the late 70s. Yes. Primarily. Primarily. But there are more things that happen along the way. One of the reasons that we say, go watch it and don't, you know, just listen to us talk. So, yes. So, she fell in love with this Mormon boy. Now, if you're not familiar with the Mormon sort of culture and religious beliefs, I don't know a huge amount about it myself, but I could piece a little bit of it together from the documentary and from some friends of mine who are LDS. It's very common, and actually I think almost like a requirement of the Mormon faith, that once you're a teenager, once you've graduated from high school, you go on something called a mission. And I believe your mission time is somewhere between like a year and a half to two years. And they send you to a place in the world where you can do your missionary work. If you happen to speak a foreign language, they'll probably send you to a country or an area where you can use your language skills. But a lot of Mormons who don't pick up a secondary language end up in places like the UK or Australia. 
I know this because a friend of mine refused to learn a secondary language so that he didn't get sent to another country other than an English-speaking one when he had to do his mission. Mm-hmm. And if you're uh, uh, one of these people, Trey Stone and Trey Parker and Matt Stone yes. would make a musical about you called The Book of Mormon. That is true. These are the people who go from door to door and say, have you heard about the great story of Joseph Smith and the tablets of gold and all this kind of business? Yes. Now, again, as we've mentioned in other episodes where we talk about something religious, Eric and I are not here to cast any sort of uh, ideas, opinions about a religion. Uh, You know, we, the two of us, are not religious people. But we understand that there are people out there that are, so we're going to try to treat this as best we can. However... Yeah, Mormonism doesn't seem any more ridiculous to me than Christianity or Judaism or or any of the major religions. They're all as equally silly to me. True. But in only one of those do you get to have your own planet if you follow all of the the requirements and check all the boxes. Yeah, I guess that's true. But, you know, if you put Scientology in there as one of the... I mean, is Scientology a religion or is it a cult or what is it? The Germans would say it's a cult. Yeah, we better be careful what we say about Scientology. They'll take our website down. I don't think they care about us that much. Just, no, we're very small front. I, I think it's one of those situations where it's like, where does Mormonism fall on the religion scale between cult and not cult? There's a lot of them. But I find some of the the teachings kind of weird. But I also find some of the teachings in American Christianity kind of weird. So, what's, you know. What's sort of cultish about it to me is that some of their foundational beliefs and major beliefs are kept generally secret from the general public. And they enumerate them early in yeah. this film, such as all black people are cursed with the mark of Cain. Right. And I do believe that the... the and they can of, never make it to Mormon heaven. I think that they've walked some of that back in more modern times, but I think it's still predominantly a thing hanging around out there. They believe that Jesus was a polygamist who came over to North America and the New World and did things over here. And they claim that at the end of your life, if you've been a good Mormon, you will be awarded your own planet. Right. And they also believe that God is a star called... Cobalt? COBOL or something, something like that. Like yeah, that. yeah. COBOL is a computer language, so this is probably, maybe it is COBOL. Maybe I don't know. maybe God is a computer language. I it's, don't know. It's something like that. Yeah, uh, something, okay. Yeah. Again, Eric and I, we only know a little bit, so you know, take all of that with a grain of salt. However, the the idea of Mormonism being a cult kind of is important in the the unraveling of this story because. Joyce was convinced that the Mormons had brainwashed her love, Kirk Anderson, and they disappeared him because they were trying to keep him away from her, specifically, so that he would marry some Mormon girl and and not have babies with her. And it was her absolute, you know, journey to go help him free himself from the sexually repressed shackles of the Mormon faith. Right. And that's her story, and she's sticking with it. In the course of this movie, the majority of this movie is an extended interview with Joyce. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. She tells her side of the story throughout the entire film, and I think the film is is really based around her version of what happened. Mm-hmm. But there are many versions which may or may not be true. And the film itself is very deft at sort of 
switching back and forth between them so that you you it, it's it's a very sort of trying to be neutral don't worry about it Just documentary say. you know it has a point of view it has a point of view but it really it it gives enough uh, contra points to its own point of view that it doesn't seem like it's a real polemic or that it's a, a like a hit job or anything like that, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So Kirk Anderson is disappeared by the Mormon faith. And the first step that Joyce takes is to hire a private investigator to find out where he has gone to. And it is determined that he is in Devon in England uh, doing his mission along with a bunch of other Mormons, because that's what you do, right? So she decides to essentially put together a team to go break Kirk Anderson out of his Mormon captor's clutches. And there, uh, at least one guy from the quote-unquote team is interviewed in the documentary. He's right. a, I think the other guy in the team has actually died by the time the documentary came out. Uh, the, I think he died in 2007. And Keith the, May, yeah. yeah. That's like her, her pal. Right. Her like, well, he was obviously smitten with her. Yes. And he followed her around like a puppy dog while she chased after her one true love. Yes. But she also pulled other vulnerable, let's say, men into her orbit by her... Uh, feminine wiles, maybe. Uh, in other words, boobs. Well, yeah. I mean, she showed her boobs to this guy who was a pilot, and she said, "Fly me over to England." And he was like, "Well, since you showed me your boobs, okay." Yeah, because she looked pretty hot, right? And there was the the possibility that she might fuck him. Is is share think, more share the boobs and more. I think that that was the undercurrent of a lot of her dealings with men was like yeah she had the eerie power to cloud men's minds yes right with, with boobs I mean it, it's a he, thing he, he details a story about how she came the first time she met him she came down the stairs in an entirely transparent shirt right and that's the main thing he remembers about the whole thing right is the transparency of her shirt and the lack of a bra and. When they interview him, it's it's sort of funny in that he tells a story, but the story really revolves around that, and you can see where his brain was. Mm-hmm. He was he was sort of brainwashed by the boobs. Right, it can happen. It, I mean, it's a it's a thing that happens. It can happen. Yes, boob washed. <laughs> boob washed. Yes. <laughs> so she assembles a team. It's it's herself, her her BFF Keith May who is, like Eric said, very smitten with her and kind of along for all of her schemes. This pilot, who is interviewed in the the documentary, and basically was like, look, I had nothing better to do and tits. And he was like, I'll go to London. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to rent the most expensive planes to fly these guys around in and see if anybody even flinches when I give them the bill. And he was like, well, she didn't have a credit card, but she had like a bunch of money, like bags of $100 bills. And he's like, Cool. I'm going to get paid. Yeah, yeah. I'm going to, at the very least, I'm going to get paid for this, this, this gig. This gig. Right. right. Weird gig, but I, you yeah. know what? Good Maybe story. I'll get more. Maybe I won't. Probably. She seems hot. We can hang out. You yeah. know, whatever. I'm going to uh, be able to go back to my friends and tell them about this crazy broad that hired me to fly her around England. Right. Yeah. The last member of the team was a guy that they had recruited from a Gold's gym to be a bodyguard. And he lasts all of about two seconds in their scheme because he quickly realizes that they that Joyce and her friend Keith are up to no good. 
the the whole idea of them going over to England to break her boyfriend free of his captors uh, started to give him the creeps because when they got there and her many suitcases were unpacked, it's like, oh, you have a bunch of handcuffs and rope and chains and shit. Yeah, I don't know if I'm on board with yeah, this anymore. A fake I got a, gun. A fake gun. Right. I got to go home. So they lose the bodyguard very early on. Right. They then lose the pilot because he's like... They go to England and, and yeah. he sees what's up and he's like... Adios, muchachos. He's like, he's I am like, not going to jail for you guys. Yeah. Sorry. He's like, I thought that she was hot and I thought that maybe she had a point, but now I can see what the truth of the matter was. And and one version of the truth of the matter, as, as far as I see it, is that her the love of her life, this man on whom she attached this limerence attachment, wanted to get the hell away from her. Yes. He had his Mormon duties, but he also didn't mention to her or supposedly didn't describe to her what he was going to do. He just got the hell out of Dodge. Yeah, because, he ghosted. Yeah, because she's kind of scary. She is scary. She's very, very intense. Yes. She has a super uh, uh, vibrant sort of uh, personality. She can speak very well very rapidly with a lot of emotion it's like she's a, a an actress who's on all the time right and to be fair in her head these scripts of the story of her life she has written them and rewritten them in her brain and probably reenacted them herself so that she has all the lines down as if it was a role like you can tell that that all of this is something that she has scripted in her mind did she make it up Yes. Did she believe it? Yes. So here's... Can you make up a story in your mind that's not true and tell it to yourself over and over to the point where you believe it's actually true? I think you could, depending on what your brain chemistry is like. Yeah. And I don't... And this is the thing. This is where the movie walks that fine line, where I feel like it it doesn't take a strong side either way that... Is, did she make this up and lie about it, or did she make this up and now believes the lies her own self and is telling what she thinks is the truth? So the basic facts of the actual crime that happened, and we can get into some of the nuance as to whether or not it should be believed that it was this way or that way. The basic facts are her friend Keith and her drove up to... I'm not sure if it was like a Mormon meeting house or some sort of yeah, like something like that. It was it was someplace where all the Mormon missionaries got together and did meetings and stuff. Mormon stuff. Mormon stuff. Yeah. They didn't drink coke or coffee. No, they don't do they don't do caffeine. They didn't get high or do drugs or even drink alcohol. They didn't watch TV. They didn't gamble. They probably sang some songs. They probably sang songs together. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So. She coerces, in in some fashion, depending on who is telling the story, she coerces Kirk, her, her love interest, into the car that her and Keith have driven. They drive off to a cabin or rental property that's in a really kind of posh part of Devonshire. And she proceeds to chain him up in the bedroom of this rental property and sexual interactions occur one way of looking at this is that she and her puppy dog boyfriend keith. devoted character keith yeah were trying to deprogram him 
Yes. Right. That's a thing that's be, that's become commonly understood that when someone's in a cult, you spirit them away to some hotel somewhere and deprogram them. Right. By putting, from the cult, putting a separation between the people. And this is her version of the story is that that's yes. what she was trying to do. Right. She knew deep down somehow that he loved her as much as she loved him mm-hmm. and that the only thing keeping them apart was his uh, uh, manipulation by the uh, Mormon church. Right. Right? Mm-hmm. So these interactions, whether they were consensual or not, took place over the course of several days in which he, depending on who, who tells the story, he was either chained up by his ankle or, as one of the, the tabloid journalists really liked to say, he was chained spread eagle on the bed. Yeah, they said that he, at first he was chained by his ankle so he could make it to the bathroom. All right. And then he was chained nude on his back, spread eagled to the bed. Yes. They didn't mention going to the loo after that. No. So I don't know what happened. It's hard to say. We can't say. If you listen to Joyce's version of the story, the two of them, Kirk and herself, agreed to get married and they were going to drive into town and have this this marriage ceremony happen. They they go to a restaurant in London, aka the Hard Rock Cafe, which must have been a fairly new thing in 1977. Had to be. Yeah. They are eating lunch and he's like, "Well, I should probably call you know, the Mormons to let them know that I'm okay and they can stop searching for me because his disappearance was in all of the papers. Okay, so while he was chained up, either spread eagle or by the ankle, she had her way with him sexually or they had a consensual sexual relationship? Something of those... We don't don't know. We weren't there. That's why I was saying sexual activities. Yes. According to Joyce, he was an initially reluctant participant who became a... A willing and enthusiastic participant as the several days passed and they had their sort of magical romantic Trist. she thought it was a she she thought of it as a honeymoon right that they had together according to him he was just assaulted by her and and essentially uh, raped by her right and as we all are very aware even in this day of 2023 there is sort of a unfortunate double standard when it comes to assault whether that victim is a woman or a man. You know, if if a woman is assaulted, we mostly take that as a very serious thing and believe her and all that kind of stuff. But even today, societally, and I think it's getting better, I should say, but if a man is assaulted, it's a joke, right? It's like, right. if so, it's like, oh, how lucky he is to be assaulted, you know, to be jumped chick. on by a, yeah, yeah, a or, beauty queen, right? I mean, we even treat prison assault that way. That's deeply disturbing, I feel. Right. Yeah. That, that uh, the men raping other men in prison is dealt with as a joke. Or a, or a judgment. Or a judgment, right? You know, right? Yeah, it's like you, this is this is the price you pay, right? Being raped, and that's not okay, right? Well, uh, I mean, but, any anyone who is is, is assaulted, it's not okay. They right. are a victim, and we right. believe victims. And nine out of ten times, or maybe more, it's men assaulting women sexually, rather than the other way around. But it how happens. are we to know? In any case, we've said what we need to say about that part of it. Right, right. So, at this lunch, and, you know, he convinces her, let me call the Mormons to let them know that I'm okay, and they can stop 
posting newspaper articles about it. He essentially calls the cops and and tells them, I have been kidnapped. Please come help me. And they arrest Joyce and they arrest her. I think that they arrest Keith May as well. I don't recall. They definitely arrest Joyce. Joyce goes to jail. She goes to jail. Now... The actual physical person of Kirk Anderson is no longer really a part of the story so much at this point. He is, he's obviously still the manacled Mormon. They're going to use that in all the tabloids, right? Because it's salacious. Right. The story he tells is that I was abducted by this beauty queen and tied up and forced to have sex with her against my will. Mm-hmm. And that she's a crazy woman who's a, uh, you know, the rare I- instance of a female rapist, which involved bondage and all kinds uh, of, you know, salacious sexual details that in 1977 were more shocking to the general public than they are today still they're still shocking today but in 1977 this was way out there it was very way out there and it was absolute catnip for the british press because there are a few main newspapers in london that are you know they're respectable like normal newspapers but there are a slew of tabloids and people fucking love them they love reading them uh the two that are talked about in this particular film are the express which i'm not 100 percent sure is still in publication i think uh, it, the express which sort of took her side in right. the story and the daily mirror which is definitely still in publication who kind of came out on the opposite side of things and really went into digging up every scrap of dirt they possibly could on joyce mckinney now She spends three months in jail. And over the course of that time, she's desperately trying to get the message out, you know, that, oh, she's, you know, she's this poor damsel in distress. Please help her. She tells this story about finding a Bible in the prison library that had two blank pages at the end of it. And she wrote one letter to her parents and she wrote one letter to the press. And in order to secret them away and get them out of the prison, she shoved one up her vagina and she shoved one up her butt. And I don't. And then when she was on the prison bus, she pulled it out of her. She she shimmied her way out, and then threw these posts, these <laughs> post, these, these postage stamped letters from her from orifices her yes. out the window, and she indicated to some poor passerby to throw them in the to mail the them. mail. Yes, uh, to which he indicated her that he would. Yes, and this is where in the in the film you're you're sort of scratching your head, going like. You know, I I could see kind of both sides of the story and being kind of like on the fence, but now it's getting like it's get, it's getting harder and harder to believe the details that she's offering. She has so much detail though, and so and she and she so freely and uh, uh, casually gives lo- the stories and details about this stuff that it's like. It doesn't seem like a criminal making up a fake story. No. And this is where it comes down to the fact that she convinced herself that this is true. Right. Or did she just, is she just that great of a fabulous that she was able to put all this together? Well, and over the course of the interview in the documentary, you know, like like we said, the, most of this documentary is her. I think that they did like a three or four hour interview with her and they used a large chunk of it in the course of the, the documentary. She's excellent. Oh, she is she's, so captivating. She's and she's totally on and she's spewing out details of which, you know, this this interview happened in 2010. 
the events are from 1977, and she is remembering exact things that people told her. She's remembering... Word-for-word word details. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, that, which is why I think that it's a script in her head. The The one thing that really like put the nail in the coffin for me is she's like, I, I brought our wedding rings with me to our tryst in this Devonshire apartment or cottage or whatever the fuck it was, and I had them inscribed with this inscription, and it was like four sentences long. It and was it, like one ring to rule them all. Yeah, yes, it was in it was, the land of Mordor, where the shadows lie. Yes. Right? How did they fit that all in a ring? That was the thing. Is, is she's like, I remember the inscription. It was like, you know, uh, Kirk and Joyce forever will love each other unquestioningly under the sun and the moon and the blah blah blah. And I'm like, how did that all fit in a ring? Like right. I've seen inscriptions in rings. Right. You can get like six words. And I can imagine remembering that one detail. Right. But then remembering word for word every detail. Like she remembered word for word what he said when he came back from the phone booth. Yeah. She remembers word for word what she heard someone on the other end of the phone line shouting through yeah. the earpiece on the phone booth. Right. She remembers like these these sort of convoluted details about the Mormon church where uh, uh, she sort of like reels off this whole thing of details about well you won't be able to join the such and such and this and that and blah 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 and it's like how I mean how would she remember this it's if it, it's well she does have 168 IQ she does have an 168 IQ she obviously has a great memory and she's obviously a fantastic raconteur mm-hmm. she could have had a great career in Hollywood somehow being <laughs> so, I mean what is Hollywood besides telling what is acting besides telling a bunch of lies exactly. I mean really yeah. she would have been great so after the three months in prison she gets bailed out and this is where the story takes kind of its next big turn because the tabloids have been eating up this story. And the British public, because of the tabloids, is super interested in this woman, the manacled Mormon woman, the sex in chains girl is what they kept calling her. And, you know, the, the, the big battle was, is she this pure, you know, woman with all these good intentions? Yeah, is, she said that she had saved herself for him, him and that that was the that she lost her virginity to him while he was with her in this tryst uh chained up mm-hmm. uh, but she said that since he had an erection it couldn't have been unwilling it had he had to have wanted to have sex with her since his penis was hard well and so then she you know deflowered herself upon his penis and, and so, like, and you can see why the tabloids are eating this up because it's sort of like, oh my God, let's let's find out more about the details of this. Right? Like, what did he say? What did she say? Well, and the, how loud did they moan? Right? You know, and like, the, yeah. And she's very photogenic, and the tabloids just started following her everywhere she went. They wanted to put stories in their papers. They wanted to take photos with her, and because of her popularity she started showing up as kind of like one of those weird flash-in-the-pan celebrities. She was showing up at movie premieres and out, you know, shining the stars of the movie. Uh, one of the, the ones that they bring up in the, in the documentaries, there was a movie called The Stud, 
which had Joan Collins in it. Yeah, this was after she'd made her way back to the States. But yeah, this is also when she was in England. No, no, it was when she was in England. Wasn't it still? Was she, okay. Yeah. Uh, Joan Collins is uh, British. It was, the, yeah. it was the British premiere, I think, oh, okay. of the movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Am I, yeah, you, you're very likely right. Yeah. yeah. So she showed, the, Joan Collins showed up. I mean, the press was interested. Joyce McKinney showed up. They were fucking on her shit the whole night, taking pictures of her. She was going to parties and Keith Moon was coming up to her and, you know, giving her a kiss and, and showing her off. The drummer for the who. Yes, the, the drummer for the who. Uh, and <laughs> we know who Keith Moon is. Yeah, I mean, Keith I think, Moon, it's Keith Moon, man. I think a lot of people know who Keith Moon He's is. He's way more famous than Joyce McKinney. Right. Or so maybe she, even Joan Collins at this point. And the, the Express, the tabloid that kind of came out on her side, basically gave one of their reporters over to her to just put her in a car and drive her around London and show her off. And everybody lost their shit. So she is showing up in more and more of these tabloid uh, papers, and <laughs> then she disappears. Well, you know, because she's on bail, she has to stay in, I, I think she was at the Old Bailey. She was, so old she Bailey was in, in London. In London. And so she had to stay in the London area and could not leave because she was on bail and she had to go back to court, right? Right, because she still had to stand trial for kidnapping and several other charges. Yes, and she's now super duper famous. Exactly. Her picture is on the paper is in the paper every single day. Yes, and now she wants to secretly leave the country, and it'd be really really hard to walk into Heathrow Airport as yourself and try to get a plane out of there because you'll be spotted in two seconds by anybody. Yes. So she puts a disguise on. Yes, she and her her, her her man pal. Her man pal. Keith. Yes, they they put on brown face and dress as no, 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 East the, Indians. No, no, this no. was when they pretended to be deaf. Oh, that's right. So she put on an old like granny wig and wore a fat suit and he did something similar. And they pretended to be deaf actors because she found out that there was going to be a deaf acting troupe that was going to be traveling to Canada at the same time they were trying to leave. And so her and Keith pinned these little signs on themselves that says, I am deaf, but I can read lips, you know, um, blah, blah, blah. Right. And this is another point where another inflection point where you're going like, could she just be a victim and just taking advantage of her like circumstances to do? And then you're thinking like, wow, that is some devious shit, man. Yeah. Like, you know, there was no internet in those days. You couldn't look this stuff eas- up easily. Well, and they had- she had to do some serious research to find that there was a deaf acting troupe leaving. You know, this is this is some skullduggery of a high level. Well, right? and she also claimed that she found they found two dead people and used their identities to make like fake documents to get back to Canada. Yeah, that's not the kind of thing you just find, right? No, and I would say if you're innocent of a crime, like continuing to commit crimes is really not necessarily your best means of showing that you're not a criminal. That's just my, my, you know... Yeah. Take on it. Yeah. I mean, I think like, you know, in another world, what might have been best for her would have just been to hang out there, go to the old Bailey, you know, either be found guilty or innocent and serve her time or be let free sure, and then carry on with her life. But that was not going to be good enough for her. For one thing, she was too, in her mind, too very important to have something like that. And she was still in pursuit of this love of her life. Yes. So she's still convinced. She knew he went back to the America, America somehow. And so she, she decided that she needed to go follow him. 
So away they go to Canada and they make it through all of the checkpoints by essentially just scamming their way through. They're held up in immigration at one point because she's traveling with 13 suitcases or some bullshit like that. All of them. Yeah, she said 13 suitcases. She was proud during this interview in 2010 to say, I had 13 suitcases full of my clippings. Yeah, full of clippings. So that meant that she had clipped all the shit out of the tabloids. So it's pictures of her and it's stories about her. And it's, I mean, if if anybody in customs had even bothered to just pop open one of the 13 suitcases, they would have immediately seen who she was, stopped her from immigrating into the country and sent her back to the UK. So her and Keith have escaped to Canada and eventually to the U.S. And during this time... It's easy to get into the U.S. from Canada. Yeah, well, you just walk across the border, basically. Yeah, no, well, now you need a, a, a passport. passport. But in those days, you didn't need a passport no, to go you, into Canada. No, who the fuck? Or in, in, even into Mexico. To get into Mexico, yes. To get out of Mexico, a little bit harder. Yeah, I don't remember. I was a little kid. We used to go down to Tijuana once in a while when I lived in San Diego. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's not too terribly hard. I don't you think. had to wait in a line of traffic coming back into the U.S. I don't remember anything, yes, but I was could, a kid. You could buy all kinds of little like souvenirs while you waited to get across the border. I, you know what? I missed out on all the sleaze in, in, in Tijuana. Tijuana because I was a little kid. I've been to Tijuana a couple of times and then some other border town that's like by South Padre Island. Yeah, yeah. Supposedly the food down there is really good in I got, Tijuana. I got really wasted when I was in college, so uh, that was fun. But okay. I did make it back into the country, so that was also fun. Yeah, but she came from Canada. Truth, truth. And she made her way back to California. Yes. And now, tracked down her love of her life once again. Well, that, that happens later on in the 80s. Oh, is it, is it that? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. That's why I said that Kirk Anderson kind of is he's he's removed from the situation once she is removed from the UK. Oh, right, right. But right. the tabloids are still they find out and they follow her to LA. Right. And they are going to do some investigative reporting. Right. 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 So on the one side of things, the Express, who's been pro Joyce McKinney, they strike a deal with her for, I think it was 40,000 pounds yeah. for her to basically tell her true story mm-hmm. in... Exclusive interview. Right. And photographs. Exactly. Right. So they're like, cool, 40 grand, we can do it. Yeah. We're going to make that much money selling papers. Yeah. So they end up publishing a number of sort of like, Joyce is a good girl columns. Right. They're She's showing, a religious woman. Yeah. They're yeah. showing pictures of her dressed as a nun. And in right. fact, I think <laughs> I think that this is where the brown face thing comes in because they were going to meet up with the reporter from the Express right. in Atlanta. Mm-hmm. So her and her, her man pal, Keith, they dress up as as like Indian, like East Indian, East Indian mm-hmm. uh, people. Subcontinental. Yes. Yeah. And the disguises were not that great. Because there, there are pictures of them. They're offensive, yes. Yeah, this, by today's it, standards, offensive. It was a bad. Offensive, yeah, it was. It was a bad look. But this is 1977. But, but even the reporters said that they didn't look convincing at all. No, and there are pictures of them in their getup, and yeah. it, it's basically like Halloween times. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, so she does the interview. The guy from the Express, you know, goes back, and they're going to publish that. Meanwhile. The Daily Mirror, who is one of their direct competitors, is like, fuck this good girl shit. There's no way that this woman did, you know, any of this stuff 
uh, you know, by this, this isn't the full story. Mm-hmm. This isn't, there's a lot of things missing here. How did she wind up with all of that money at that one point? Was right. a good, big question. How, because she didn't really work a, a job that anyone could tell. You know, she did some acting reels and things like that. Mm-hmm. And, but no one had her in movies. And she said she was a model, but there's yeah. no pictures really yeah. of her. Well, some risque photos started to emerge, but they weren't of, they looked like her, but it wasn't Joyce's she, she it, it, if it was her she wasn't using her real name right and then the 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 journalist from the daily mirror had tracked down the name of a photographer when he was like look i'm looking for these pictures of a woman named joyce mckinney and he's like i've never shot anyone named joyce mckinney and the reporter was like okay well you what know, about these pictures here yeah and also she would always bring her dog. She had a big giant. Well, wasn't that the the photographer clued her clued him in? He's like, "What are these pictures here?" And she's he's like, "I don't remember her name, but she always came with." Oh, the maybe dog. that's maybe that's what it was. I think that's what it was. Yeah. So she always would bring her dog to a big English sheepdog. Yes. Right. Yes, she would always bring her dog to everything photo shoots, appearances, driving around in her car, what everywhere. Not. Yes. Right. And so this so the reporter from the Daily Mirror was started asking photographers and models and whatnot, "Hey, do you remember this woman who had a big sheepdog?" And a lot of people were like, "Oh yeah, here's some like photos I took. Here's this thing." And little by little the Daily Mirror started gathering up a lot of photo negatives and clippings and the further they dug the more dirt they found until they found a guy who was supposedly joyce's ex-boyfriend who clearly still he was taking care of her dog he was taking care (laughs) of this dog and he's like i don't want to help you and the reporter's like look we know it's a bad situation for you to be in because you're still in love with this woman we get it we will promise you a first class plane ticket to london so that you can be at the Old Bailey when she is on trial, so that you can be there for the love of your life, if you help us out. Yeah, you'll be the white knight. Yeah, and he's like, let me think about it. And then the next day he was like, I'm in, let's do it. Here, here's 100,000 photographs of her naked. Right. And a bunch of clippings from the free press in Los Angeles. The back pages. The back pages of the free press announcing her as a sex worker. Yes. Essentially. Now- I know many sex workers. There are people who would probably consider the work that I had done on stage as a burlesque performer as sex work. I have no problem with sex workers. I actually think it should be legalized. But, you know, what do I know? Many of the people involved in the story had no problem specifically with sex workers. Exactly. But it clashed extremely with her story of being a prim proper religious uh, uh, uh virgin pure as the driven snow virginal ivory snow type person right. right and some of the the evidence that came out via the free press ads and some of the materials that were gleaned from people who worked with her in those ads was that she was essentially a pro-dom which kind of explains the whips and chains angle of things. It makes ah uh-huh, yes. It makes the sex and chains girl 
sound a little bit more truthful. Right, right. Having an ad in the back pages of the free press saying, like, call me for a good time is different than having an ad in the back pages of the free press saying, like, we will tie you up and whip you. Yes. Which is like, again, this is the 1970s. This is before her whole account encounters. This is probably 1975, 1976. This is really edgy stuff. This, I mean, was it the, 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 was the Los Angeles free press, not San Francisco. But was, I mean, even so, it's still, yeah. I mean, it, it, it was uh, either way. It's it, on the back pages for a reason. It's on the back pages for a reason. Here in town, uh, in Chicago, the reader used to have a section. In the, <laughs> I the, remember that. Yeah. It, was the, it was the fourth section of the reader, and it was mostly just like want ads and, you know. Right. And 976 numbers. Yeah. Yeah, it was, remember those? Yeah, remember you could dial a number nine seven six something, be a dollar a minute, and you could what you talk, talk to, to hot some, chicks, talk to a naked lady. <laughs> yes, and it was always some. It was always some like woman with like three kids, you know, uh, ironing. Yeah, while ironing she's talking like, to you. Didn't they do that in a in a Tarantino movie? They did. Yeah, yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure. I don't remember which one, but yeah, I'm pretty I think sure it might they have been did. Pulp Fiction. That that uh, it may be. No, know, I don't think it was not, Pulp Fiction. Yeah, no, I feel like it may be Jackie Brown. Or yeah, it might have been that. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, so so we've got this conflicting narrative now, and the Daily Mirror takes all these photos and all this proof, and they go back to the tabloids in England and start churning out stories that have naked pictures of Joyce McKinney, where she's completely nude but laying on her stomach, so you can't see anything specifically except her face. Well, there were naked pictures where you could see her boobs. Oh yes, uh, but because they were posting in the paper in england they couldn't show that not at that time sure so they were showing these pictures of her that were as naked as could be as you could show in the paper at that time right and to they, which joyce said that these are all fakes yeah my boobs don't, aren't that flat that right. was her big argument is my breasts are bigger than these pictures right and it's like i don't know the pictures uh, the girls in the pictures seem to have pretty normal sized breasts i, I mean i didn't i saw I didn't, no they, difference yeah she's like oh these are these are fried eggs and i was looking at them going like mm, i don't know they look like normal size boobs. boobies to me yeah, yeah right boobs. but what really went wrong is when they presented her with the fact that they got all of these from this guy who had been taking care of her dog right and she lost her shit mm-hmm. she tried to jump out a window commit suicide she ran half naked out into this uh, out into the highway mm-hmm. uh like her last level of defense had been torn down she could claim all kinds of excuses up until the point of where they, they came down to like listen Joyce. We know what your deal is. You know, like, oh, it's all fake. And it's like, look, we got these pictures from this guy. And she's like, explodes in a, and and she, and she in her nightgown runs across the highway and escapes into the night somehow and is a fugitive yes on the run now we should mention at no point in time did the old bailey did scotland yard try to get joyce back to stand trial for what was going on i think that they just kind of wrote it off because yeah at this point it was like it was you know the story was kind of dead until now in which it became another huge it became a huge story once again right but i think all parties involved on kirk anderson's side of things were like you know what we're just gonna we want to forget this happened and so eventually i don't think the charges were ever dropped but i don't think that they ever made any effort to follow through on it right right 
So the love of her life, Kirk, goes back to Utah, marries a Mormon girl, starts having kids. And there's... An end of story, right? En- end of story. Well, not <laughs> no. really, because no. in, in 1984, she is arrested for stalking him at his job. Now, remember, this is a documentary now. This is not a sto- This is not a movie. This yes. is a documentary this about something that really happened. This is someone's real life. And when you watch this, this film... For the first time, hopefully you've seen this film before you've heard our t- us talk about it. But right. when you watch this film for the first time, y- your 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 chin was like on your chest for like the first half of the movie, and now your your chin is on the floor. You're like, wait, what? What? <laughs> and right. It's like how how can this possibly be? Right. Right. So so she gets arrested again, and you know she's like, well, you know, it's all it's all manufactured. You know, some Mormon people saw me at the airport, and it just happens to be where he was working, and I, it wasn't me. And then you find out that she was like stalking him at his like actual place of employment, and so the story continues. She gets in trouble with the cops. Right. She has to move in with her folks. Right. She's going to write her tell-all biography mm-hmm. when she becomes obsessed with the neighbor's dogs who are barking all the time. And she starts... But, and I can I can sympathize with that. I've yes. got a, a neighbor next door with a dog that barks. He doesn't bark all the time anymore. I'll give him that, but uh, yeah. I hate it when that dog fucking barks. We, we're, not, we're not pro-neighbor dog here. No. But she starts filming herself doing this. And this is in the you know mid to late 80s. So she's using a VHS camera. And she essentially just continuously is filming the yard and filming the next door neighbor's dog and i told i told eric i was like she really loves dogs it's very evident like she always has pet dogs she talks about the dogs all the time if the noise maker had been anything other than a dog i think she would have done something like bad to the animal the person the whatever well she would go out and feed her horses right the dogs would keep barking but in order to stop the dogs barking next door, instead of calling the cops or asking them to shut the dogs up, she bought herself some like huge, vicious dog. Right. And kept him chained out in the front. Right. As a warning somehow. Right. Then she got attacked by her own huge, vicious dog and, and torn apart. Here's another area where it's like, what really happened versus what she said happened? Because she said that the dog had something wrong with it physically, and she needed to get some prednisone for the dog's issue. And so she went and, sure. and she went, and the people at the pharmacy didn't like her, so they added a zero to the dosage of the Instead prednisone. Instead of getting one milligram. They got 10 or 10 something. 10 milligrams, sure. Whatever. I don't Instead know. Of 10 milligrams, they got 100 milligrams. Prednisone will make you crazy. Right. Yeah. And so she administered the drug to her dog, and that caused her dog to go into a, you know, mindless fury. It ripped her fingers off her hand. It it gutted her. Her intestines were hanging out. I didn't see any evidence of scars on her body or anything no, either, though. No. The only thing that I could see from older Joyce versus younger Joyce is she seemed to have a bit of a hunch, which could have been caused by, you know, osteoporosis or, you know, any of a number of things. Mm-hmm. But none of the injuries that she described... Yeah, it sounded like she was torn limb from limb by yeah. this wild dog. Right. And only her young puppy saved her somehow. Yes, Booger. Booger. Don't forget the name Booger. Oh, my goodness. Because it's going to yes. become kind of important in just a second. Right. 
Right. And and by this time you're watching the movie and you're going like, oh, what? What? The you hell? know, it's like we. Th- I thought it was about this. This thing, weird and it's just, sex, it, sex thing. And, and the thing is, is it just it gets crazier and crazier and crazier. So here's where the next large twist happens. So Booger, her dog, that she found by the side of the road and talks to as if it's a person, saves her from her big giant guard dog that's crazy on the prednisone. Booger, who can also dial a phone. Yes. <laughs> bring her. Bring uh, her cans of Coke. Cans of Coke out of the fridge. Open the door. Open the door. Close the door. Yes. He talks in a certain barking ruh, pattern. Ruh, 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 ruh. Exactly. Right. Yes. Yes. So she's she's anthropomorphized her dog Booger basically, mm-hmm. and this is the dog that that nurses her back to health. He she loves this dog. He becomes a, a service dog. He's got the little vest. He's got little We've pockets. We've all been there. Yeah. We you know we love our dogs. We, we love our, our cats. Dogs. We love our cats. Sure. Right? Of course. But the you know Booger went the way of all oh, dogs. He of did all cats. He did a good ten years of service. He was a good boy. He was a good boy. He was a good boy. But she could not live without Booger. She took him to all of the doctors everywhere. Wouldn't right. let him die. Yes. He had cancer, but she thought that he would live forever. Right. She gave him one last command. Don't die. And, well, you can't tell animals not to die if they're already dying. So he died. Yes. But he told her through his eyes yes. that he would be waiting for her on the other side. Right. Yeah. He would never leave her. He would never leave her. And how does one go about making sure that one's dog never leaves them? Well, <laughs> you clone them, bitches. So she finds out about this this doctor scientist person in South Korea named Dr. Hong, I believe. And he is going to clone Booger for her. For the, the small cost of like $137,000 or some bullshit like that. Yeah. yeah. Where'd she get this money? Who knows? They don't go into that. They don't tell us where the money came from. So she sends him some skin cells from Booger's abdomen, I believe. Yeah, yeah, that's what he said. And he then had some skin skin cells from the abdomen. And then they create the the cloning cell. Yeah, which is a nucleus from a, a healthy cell, and then they inject it with the DNA from yeah. The they take they take animal. an egg from a dog mm-hmm. and remove the egg's nucleus and replace it with the nucleus of a cell from the abdomen of Booger. Right. Is this how you go about cloning? I don't know. Not, we're not sure of the. I science. mean, uh, the the uh, from a, from a very basic standpoint, it seems to make some kind of sense. But uh, it that's it, it, I think the process is more complicated than that. But, but whatever. Sure. She winds up with four booger clones. Five. Five booger clones. Yes. So the yes, the dog that was carrying the cloned animals gave birth to five booger puppies, of which she owned all of them, and they were all named Booger something, like Booger Kim, Booger Hong, Booger Ha. It was like whichever scientists mm-hmm. helped with the the process, yeah. she named them after that. Yeah. And and they show her with all of these cloned dogs, and they do look just like the animal that got cloned because that's how it works. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so she becomes this sort of like weird mini celebrity again and she's not using her real name she's using i think they they said her her name was like brennan or barnan yeah she, she used her like middle name or something like right. that right and yeah it was just like she was like on, on tv ah with the clone dog she's famous again but it's like everybody's looking at it going like hey this is joyce mckinney that woman from the crazy thing remember like last the, decade the sex in change yeah and well, she's like no that's not me <laughs> this isn't even the next last decade this is in 2006 okay oh wow this is that late this yeah. is in okay, 2006 so two so, decades back. so it's 
been a few years since she had made any yeah. kind of waves. 20 years. Yeah. Right, exactly. And so, so the resurgence of this came back up and the tabloids picked it up again because it was like, do you remember the Sex and Chains woman? Here she is. Now she's the crazy cloned dog woman. What the actual fuck? Right. And then she wanted to have a lawsuit saying that, no, it's not really me. And then everybody was like, We're, we know it's you. We know it's you. It's like, she, like the, uh, several times along the way, she made these kind of like, like these bold lying statements where it was sort of like, everyone can see that that's everyone not true. Can see this is not true. It's sort of like, we, we thought you were devious, but now we wonder if you're not, if you're crazy. Yeah. Because you can't expect people to believe this that you're not the same person i mean she looked the same it's yeah i mean she, i mean from, from from being a beauty queen in her 20s to being in her 60s she looked pretty good right and she looks the same except older basically yeah, yeah. so so the cloned dog lady is kind of where the movie leaves things in that you know it doesn't matter that she didn't get to be with the love of her life who she may or may not have assaulted it doesn't you know matter that she she became this celibate woman that had never had children uh it you know it, it's it's all well and good that she's the happy owner of these five boogers who all do things that their original one do, it like had done mm-hmm. they yeah they, they know to get her drinks out of the mini fridge and open yeah and open the door she didn't know the word for mini bar which Right. I thought it was kind of yeah, funny. It was funny. Yeah, they flash and, and it the on th- screen. The thing is, is that the you know those little fe- refrigerators that wood. look like a cabinet in a hotel room, and it like flashes on the screen, mini bar. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The, I will say this: that the documentarian was kind of snarky about some shit because obviously he kind of had had her, his fill of her to a certain yeah, extent. Yeah, that's exactly what I thought. And yeah. and so throughout the, the documentary, there are like words that get flashed or like she'll be talking about something that is so clearly a lie or a fabrication on her part. And then he will literally show a picture of her doing the thing she said that she never did. Yeah. yeah and it's like, it's like, oh, okay, cool. Um, so and that's the movie tabloid so the story ends there in the movie but we do know a few things that have happened since then um which are kind of sad i think uh i mean the movie they're they're definitely sad the movie is a little sad overall because it's like very clearly this woman who had something going on with her who because of the nature of her madness or her personality she just kept finding herself in the middle of everyone's attention and it's exactly what she wanted right and the and the the flavor of her madness was such that it didn't appear to anybody that she was suffering in any way no when you see somebody and you think that they have a serious mental illness you think of them like poor on the streets unable to form relationships with people, unable to function in normal society, uh, you know, all of these other things that make you feel sorry for them. Sure. But she was like a beauty queen and a tabloid superstar and always in the middle of everything and, and full of schemes and all of this other kind of stuff. Well, and she was- So you, you, you don't have that kind of feeling, you know, sorry feeling for somebody like and that. And she obviously had the ability to endear herself or allure men into doing things for her for (coughs) probs well boobs yeah but but for the majority of her life in one way or another maybe it was a dominance thing because she was a pro-dom but maybe it was just because she was so good looking and very charming who knows i mean i think that a lot of people probably reacted to her the way that that pilot did which was wow she's hot and she seems to be like really chill Mm. maybe i can get with that yeah 
so the average man would see her and go like wow she looks great and wow she talks a great game and she seems like she'd be a lot of fun this one yeah exactly and then the average man goes after if unless you're a youngster and you don't know better the average man goes after a couple of dates you go like ooh, i need to i need to i need to go to london i'm going to disappear to england yes i need to go not tell her where i'm going right yeah yeah, so, so right, so our story ends here. Now, we do know that, unfortunately, after all of the events of the, the documentary happened, Joyce decided to sue the documentarian, Errol Morris, because the whole thing in her mind was just a setup, and he was li- making her look stupid, and, you know, that's not what she signed on for. She was, she was claiming that she had been coerced into doing the documentary, and then, of course, Errol Morris's people were like, no, here's all the proof that she wasn't. Right. Once again, right. she just a blatant lie that any, I mean, yeah. she had no reason to try to sue him because it was, she clearly, enthusiastically participated in this. She was enjoying every minute being oh, yeah. on camera during this movie. Oh, it's part yeah. of why the charm of the movie. Yeah. You know. Yeah. I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a character study. She's the character. Um, but we did find out, uh, I'm not exactly sure which year it happened, but she ended up homeless, uh, unfortunately, living in a car with her dogs, probably some of the boogers, uh, or maybe not actually, given the I, timeline. I don't know what the, yeah, the yeah, dogs, the dogs are probably moved not. on by then. I don't so, think she cloned them anymore. So she has dogs still, and she's living in her car, and then she unfortunately gets into an accident in her car where she hit a 90-year-old man. A yeah, 94-year-old man hit and run killed him. Yes. And so, unfortunately, now she is... She has been... Well, she went to jail, and then they te- they they did a psyche vow on her and said that she's psychiatrically incompetent. Right. And now she's locked up in a mental facility. Right. And she's going to be on trial for vehicular mo- homicide. Yeah, which she could spend years in jail, and she's probably She's in not, her 70s, yeah, I think, at this point. she's not got that many years left. Yeah. So it really is a kind of a sad story i mean all of her problems were her own making yes and from the very outset she said she did not want to have any other relationships in her life other than the relationship with this one poor unfortunate mormon that she fixated on and so the fact that she never had any more significant relationships in her life seem to be congruent with her personality and what she wanted although on the other hand you feel like a, a, a woman with so many smarts and talent and good looks could have led something uh, resembling a normal life of fame and fortune without being so tragic For listening to Cinema Super Collider. You can find us online at anchor.fm, but you can also subscribe to our podcast via any of the major podcast networks, including the Apple Store, Spotify, and others. If you'd like to email us, you can reach us at cinemasupercast at gmail.com. Thanks, and we hope to see you again in the future. Cinema Super Collider.